welcome to the Legal Moves Podcast. I am your host, Zachary Strebeck, and today on the show, I am joined by Brad Brooks and Peter Vaughn of Cardboard Alchemy. Uh, Welcome to both of you. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It is a pleasure. Um, Can you both maybe do a quick intro of yourselves uh, for those who don't know who you are? Let's go with Peter first. Sure. Uh, My name is Peter Vaughn. I've been in the board game space for a couple of years. I was, I, I found Kickstarter and a friend of mine said that, that, you know, he was launching a movie short, short movie on there. And he said, Oh, Kickstarter will never work. And I wanted to do it because I wanted to make um, games. I wanted to see if I could, I was in apps, you know, I was actually working with Brad and apps and I wanted to make uh, a board game happen. So I made my first game on Kickstarter, funded it, Printed it with Ad Magic, which owns Breaking Games, and then I went to go work for Breaking Games as their director of development for four years. Um, but I was sort of itching to make my own titles again, so Brad and I, at that time, connected. So I'll let him. I'll let him pick up there. Excellent. Yeah, Brad, how? Where'd you come from? Well, let's see. I pretty much played games all my life. Uh, my dad actually used to design games before. Uh, any of us knew what you could do with a design game. He just sort of did it for, I guess, his own, uh, you know, his own project. Uh, played games, you know, since I was a kid, D&D and, and war games and mm-hmm. board games and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then uh, Peter and I met when we were working together at Disney. Um, he did his his game, his Kickstarter. I had an idea for a game. Uh, that ended up being Letter Tycoon. Uh, he decided he was going to publish it. And then uh, after that, I had another one, which was Rise of Tribes, and then an expansion to Rise of Tribes. And then we decided that we would do our own company and be our own publishers. Excellent. And you, yeah, recently, how, how many years have you been in business with as Cardboard Alchemy? It's been since uh, June of 2020, because we thought... There's nothing much going on in 2020. <laughs> what, a, what a time to start a board game company. Wow. Yeah. Right? Well, that, I mean, you've been super successful so far. You've had two successful Kickstarter campaigns. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you both on the show is to talk about that. How you went about starting up a new company and, uh, you know, uh, what was your what was your strategy and uh, how you, how'd you build toward that first campaign for Mission Catastrophe? Yeah, I think it's interesting. We so you know we had talked about it for a while. There was timing issues of when to do it. I think uh, you know twenty twenty was a weird year, mm-hmm. but despite everything that was going on, it just seemed like the right time to sort of transition to it uh, in our lives. Um, and we did kind of think that like we didn't want to come into it cold so we came up with this idea of you know form the company and then we were actually going to have a crowdfunding campaign right off the bat only it wasn't going to be a game um so our very first you know we formed the company in june at the end of july we did our first campaign which was uh essential elements which was we did a series of coasters uh that had uh we did artwork with uh, someone we've worked with a few times, Sergio Chavez, had him do three sort of inspirational thematic coasters, uh, an action one, 
um, a horror one and a fantasy one. And then we also um, worked with game trays and did some new, uh, new from them trays uh, for gaming bits and offered those as sort of a hello, nice to meet you. We're a new company. Um, Our thought was that we would, you know, by doing that, when we did our first game later that year, people would be familiar with us and it wouldn't just be, you know, starting from cold. Yeah. Well, I think the nice thing about that was we focused on art and components, which we were going to try and say, this is going to be one of the hallmarks of our, our campaigns are going to be deluxified and they're going to have great art. They're going to have awesome components in them. So it was a double had served a couple of purposes to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, and it also makes sense to start smaller. You know, that's usually the advice I see, you know, rather than coming out the gate with your $200 game full of miniatures and all of that, you know, it may be better to start with a, uh, a smaller project to, to build up a name for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It lets you exercise everything, you know, at a smaller scale and figure yep. out all the pieces you need to put in place, uh, you know. I don't think we were laboring under the delusion that we wanted to do this, but we verified the fact that we didn't want to do our own fulfillment because I did do that for, for the first campaign. Um, and that's a lot of work and that's why there's companies that do that and get paid well for that. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of paying companies, did you, when you were doing any of your Kickstarters, have you ever engaged any third parties for marketing or, or any, any of that kind of work uh, to help you build up your audience first? Very little. I sort of believe, I mean, I helped run Dwellings of Eldervale Kickstarter for breaking games. And I, and I studied a lot of the Kickstarters that, I mean, I have been running this like Flamecraft, which was our last Kickstarter, which was my eighth. I, I really love the community aspect of it. And I really love reaching out to the community and building that. So I, I actually believe mostly in organic build before the Kickstarter. I believe mm-hmm. in sharing it at cons, sharing it with uh, the the right reviewers and just sort of like getting the buzz going. And as a result, I don't tend to lean on the marketing side, which is good because I actually don't understand enough of <laughs> Facebook marketing. I don't get some of the, the, the techniques. I don't see them working as well as what I find to be sort of a, you know, building from the ground up this audience that can't wait to come over. Mm-hmm. It's a personal style, but that being said, we did use a little bit on um, Flamecraft because we felt like we owed it to the community that was building up to make sure it saw that a lot of people saw it because we felt like we had something. Yeah, I think it's kind of a. It was almost ironic in that we we had a positive response going into it, and we knew that we had some some momentum behind it, and so that sort of justified spending more money and trying more things in order to build on that momentum as opposed to coming in, you know, to the, to the crowdfunding date and thinking that you didn't have much of any momentum and sort of, you know, panic spending to try and make it happen. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, speaking, speaking more toward the organic buildup of a community, I mean, uh, for a lot of first time Kickstarter companies, right? They, they got their first game and they don't really have a name behind themselves. How would you approach uh, starting to build that organic uh, organic community and, and, and excitement about your game? The, the, uh, 
the main ways I would do it is by, I mean, I, when I started my first company, what I would do is reach out to other Kickstarter creators and try and talk to them. I mean, actually, Brad and I were in, um, we founded something called the League of Game Makers back in mm-hmm. uh, 2013, which was this small group of authors with 20 of us that had like, some of us were beginning designers, some of us were getting beginning publishers. And we connected. So I would ask, like, I remember Chris Strain, who had launched a Kickstarter before me for Asking for Troubles. I just wrote to Chris and said, well, how did you do this? How did you figure that out? Um, just because I then knew Chris, I was able to sort of talk to his connections or see him on a Facebook group. And then just from there, I feel like if you don't have a community, you have to build one. You have to go to meetup groups. You have to, you have to, you know, like in, in Los Angeles, we, we host a, a meetup group. It has like a thousand and some members. And that's how I, 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 so I sometimes invite other publishers to come and say, hey, listen, I'll give you a table and you can, you can uh, connect. You have to, you have to go out there. And um, Aldo Giazzi, who I met in the industry would say convention, convention, convention. You do have to kind of just put the time in. Um, if you don't know anyone, it's a perfect time to, you know, go and f- figure out, um, you know, the things you don't know. I mean, I, one, one time I, before we did done miniatures ever, I went to go seek out every company that I saw doing miniatures. I was like, how did you do that? What is this? How, you know, how do I, so you have to do that, you know? Yeah. And then those, yeah, you'll yeah. find out the community is actually pretty small and they're very giving and they want to talk to, they really are helpful. Right. I think there's two, there's, you know, it's kind of a, a duh thing, but like you need to have a product that, people are going to respond to right it if you've got something that isn't appealing it doesn't matter how much you plaster yourself around it's not going to do you any good so you know clearly you have to do the work ahead of time to try and uh, you know make sure that you're producing something that's really going to be appealing to people um and i mean you can see the difference between our first game and second game we just really struck on something that just really captured people's attention right from the bat with Flamecraft. I I think that's interesting. And, and one of the reasons I think for Kickstarter, I don't know, maybe to exist or, or to be a useful tool in the beginning was to gauge that interest. Like are people interested in this thing enough to put money into it so that I can then make it. And now it's almost the pre Kickstarter (laughs) more of that, right. You know, like if, if nobody's interested enough to sign up for your mailing list or to, I don't know, engage with you at a convention or or play your prototype, uh, you may not be at a point where if putting it up on Kickstarter is going to get you anywhere. Right. Yeah. It becomes the show before the show. You really got to, you know, make it happen. I I saw there was a forbidden, um, forbidden Island games. Can't remember uh, the name of that company that makes a mosaic and, um, Glenn Drover's company, Forbidden Island. I can't remember. Forbidden something. Uh, um, anyway, I, I saw Glenn do something which I hadn't seen in, in a couple of years ago, which was he had the notification page for the Kickstarter building up and building up, and he had almost 6,000 people waiting to get into the Mosaic Kickstarter. I think it mm-hmm. might have been more by the time he started. And I was like, oh, wow, you have an audience waiting to jump in. So, you, you know, that whole thing about, yes, you used to use Kickstarter to say, I have an idea. Do you think I should spend money on art? Should I do it? And now it's definitely like, uh, we're going to launch this thing and it's already, you know, we've done quite a bit. I hope it works. <laughs> um, yeah. 
but I saw him build up this audience that I kind of talked to him. I said, oh, look at that. You know, you know, a bunch of people are at the door. That's another way to go. So that That's actually, I paid a lot more attention to that for Flamecraft. I was trying to make sure people were at the door before we went live. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with, you know, needing a certain amount of funding on the first day and, you know, in order to get the momentum, having those people <laughs> on day one ready to go in, uh, I think is super important these days, right? Yeah, I think another thing is we, you know, if you're, we're very much focused on the the crowdfunding aspect to it. I mean, for Flamecraft, we're partnering with uh, Lucky Duck Games to do the retail side of things. Mm-hmm. So we're really focused on making that crowdfunding event an event and being as as big as possible and and having people enjoy it as much as possible the entire thing. And so leading into that, um, we started. Uh, doing puzzles on Mission Catastrophe, and then we followed it and did it on Flamecraft as well. And I think, you know, giving people that way to engage and participate and have some fun leading up to it and really kind of bring them in and just carrying that that fun all the way through it so that people stay engaged was super valuable. Yeah, it all it all speaks to yeah, fostering the community and engaging the community and you know, community, community, community. That's the, you know, that's the crowd and the crowdfunding. So I guess that sh- should be your focus, right? Yeah, there yep. was a I used to talk to Richard Bliss a lot and he would see people mm-hmm. um fail and he would say, you know, you, you if you're if you're running a crowdfunding um campaign, you don't have a funding problem, you have a crowd problem. I mean <laughs> Yep. Funding is not the hard part. It's the uh, making sure that you, you, a lot of people would think you, you, you go to Kickstarter and the, and the crowd's already there, but you do have to bring them to some degree. I mean, to some degree it's there, which is what it's a great platform, but you do have to reach out and, and bring them in. They are not going to do the work for you. (laughs) It's kind of amazing how it's changed. I mean, I know there are companies that are, and, and bless them for doing games without crowdfunding. <laughs> but I just don't know how they get the word out. You know, I know that it must be through the large retail, you know, backbone um, where there's retailers ready to order from known companies and mm-hmm. through magazines that cover games. But I, I honestly don't see enough of it. I don't see how you get, I don't see how you get your game discovered the same way. So yeah, I think it, I mean, it's just a, a question of having a built in audience that you have, whether it's through social media or through a mailing list or something like that, some direct connection with. So you're doing that direct to consumer uh, announcement or what have you, you know, like uh, right. Stonemeyer Games does, right? I mean, you, you can reach out and. Yeah, Stonemeyer's uh, a great example. I know he started on, on crowdfunding, but he has quite the. His newsletter is so strong the people anticipating products before they're out. I mean, he does a really good job of back when, when we were at Disney, I remember if there was a new movie, it was working backwards a year to talk about that movie. And I know Mm -hmm. Stonemaier is doing a really great job of, I remember the time I saw the Charterstone ad before Charterstone was even a thing I could get my hands on. So he is doing a great job at that. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it, it always amazes me. I mean, I'm <laughs> I struggle to get like a newsletter out every month or so, or a <laughs> podcast done or whatever. I mean, I don't know how people can, you know. Well, I guess when it's such a huge part of your of your uh, your success, you know, it's it's the thing you need to concentrate on. But you know, I'm uh, I'm always amazed at people who can do a really good job with the marketing side of things. The struggle is real. 
Yeah. yeah. It really is. <laughs> Newsletters are the bane of my existence. Yeah. <laughs> I want them to be interesting, but I just don't know that I want to read any of the ones I get. So I'm, I'm struggling with why anyone would want to yep. read that, you know? Absolutely. Um, one other topic I wanted to talk to you guys about uh, is something that I think a lot of designers and publishers deal with, and that is working with an artist or, or someone like that. Um, you know, on Flamecraft, you have great artwork has huge appeal. I mean, how did that partnership with Sindara Tang get started? Well, that's the best part. That's like <laughs> secretly the best part of working on games. I mean, searching for an illustrator is, is, is can be hard. Um, searching for a graphic designer, by the way, much harder, but uh, illustrators who tend to be out there and Sindara was out there with her art and actually, you know, I credit Manny Vega, the designer for finding her, mm-hmm. Because he he was following her for quite a long time, and we did work with her on uh, on Sparkle Kitty Knights. She did two dragon cards for that game, and I actually tried to get her to come and do a dragon on Dwellings of Eldervale, but she was busy. But you follow the artists that have this, you know, they they go in a rolodex, and they're kind of uh, okay. I'm paying attention to to this artist. Um, I have tried to get. I've tried to work with Beth Sobel before and she's got a long lead time of like booked clients. There's, there's definitely artists that have, that have made themselves known in the board game industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when those are booked, it's been trying to find other gems, people who you know aren't known yet or are known for something else, but not necessarily known for doing a board game. Like I think Sergio Chavez is, he's amazing. Right. Best kept, uh, not any more secret in board game art. You know, he did the Rise of Tribes artwork and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. He did a lot of dwellings and he did all of our Mission Catastrophe art. And we've partnered with him again for Andromeda's Edge. So we really do like his style. Um, it, you know you're doing the right thing when the art drops, you know, through the, the weeks and months, art little presents that you get to see that you're just, you know, you're blown away and amazed with, the little, you know, bits and pieces they do as they turn them in. Yeah. That that really is the, you know, the magic part of the job. On Dwellings, um, in order to get the job done, we had I worked with um, eight artists at once. Each one was taking a different element. So someone was doing fire and someone mm-hmm. was doing water. And I, I thought that might work because if they weren't necessarily the same style, like all of water would be the same. And every single one of those artists was in a different country. And it was just this wild experience of like, some like to work a certain way and others like to work a different way. It was getting used to all of them. And I remember really well, the artist that did the cover for dwellings and also all of the water was this really young guy in Serbia. And he was excited. He wanted to do the best job of any of them. And he wanted to prove it to me. It was great because he'd come on with these pieces that I was blown away. It was far past what I had asked for. And he was just like, I want to show you something. And it was mm-hmm. like, like Brad said, it's the, it's the gem, right? You get to, you get to get so excited about those things. This really loops back to, you know, when we were talking about that first campaign we did as Cardboard Alchemy, you know, we went to Sergio and we said, we're not having you work on games yet, but these are the kind of games, the themes that we'd want to make. We had to make those three coasters. And like, literally he turned that stuff in and we're like, well, yeah, we, okay. We want to make games about these things that you made. Cause those are amazing. Who wouldn't want to be in those worlds and, you know, and play with that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, I, I suppose if you're working somewhere and you have art turned in and you go, yeah, that's serviceable. That'll, 
that'll work, then I, I, I really feel like you're doing it wrong. You know, it should just be <laughs> yeah. like, you know, pow, inspiring, you know, you want to go do, you want to make this world bigger and, and, you know, really drives your, right. your enthusiasm. Would you, do you, do you find that the artwork drives the design at all? Like when you see artwork that changes how you were maybe designing the game. Okay. Uh, I, I, it could, I think we're, we're well, so like Flamecraft, you know, you'd look at things and you'd, uh, you'd see these amazing shops that uh, Sandara made and, and it would influence, I think how we thought about that shop working and the powers. Um, I think we're hopefully not um, so fanboy that we would like completely break the design and go off, you know, uh, <laughs> right. in you know some other territory. But yeah, it definitely, you know, when you're when you're trying to build a world, that's definitely part of it to go like, oh, I didn't even think of that that way. That would be so cool if we could tie that in mechanically and reflect that. Yeah, I think to give an artist some freedom. Is key. I, th- I think a lot of times uh, Sergio in particular wants to feel like he has a say. So if, if I'm, if we're, if we're directing and we're so hard on it, then I think he'll just turn in the minimum. But if he gets to kind of play and go, what do you think about this idea? So when we were doing that same thing with Sandara, sometimes Manny would have a shop idea. We'd go back to Sandara and she'd interpret it different than we all had thought. Like there was a candle shop and she went completely different. At, uh, on on the way she wanted to take that candle shop on, which then it made us all think, oh yeah, that no, forget our idea. This is the candle shop. <laughs> um, so yeah, they can really feel when they're when they feel empowered to to be part of it. Then you get the best the best results. Um, all right, and then before we wrap this up, do you have any advice for I don't know maybe someone that's new into the Kickstarter uh, game? Let's go with you, maybe one at a time. How about Peter? You got any advice for for first timers that you haven't already talked about? Sure. I mean the if you're if you're looking at well, the biggest question I got at breaking games when people would submit games was I don't know if I should be because breaking games did take on designs where someone had already launched a Kickstarter, and a lot of people would ask, I don't know if I want to self publish. I don't know if I want to design. Um, make sure if you're going to get into Kickstarter, you realize you are now a publisher more than anything. You have to do all the parts. I think a lot of people just didn't really realize that. And for me myself, when I decided to publish Brad's game letter tycoon, I had to kiss all of my designs goodbye because I haven't had time to work on a design since then. (laughs) I'm, I'm fully focused on bringing other people's products to life now. And um, there's another whole element of Kickstarter. It looks easy. It looks like it's the easy you know, road, but it's actually quite a bit of work. And a lot of them fail because you don't do all the parts right. Or then even when you do the parts right, you have to deal with shipping and VAT and all sorts of non-fun parts. So yep. the biggest thing to consider, I think, is if it's really what you want. After you figure that out, if it is what you want, then you need to go to work studying from the people who've, done it before the Stonemeyer actually Jamie's got great blogs on how to do it. Mm-hmm. So you need to read the that all process. up. Yep. Yeah. The whole process is out there. Like I said, it's a small industry really. Yep. And Brad. Yeah. I don't, I, I think Peter hit most of the good points. I you clearly just know what you're getting into. Don't, you know, 
it, it, we're we're long past the days of putting something random up on crowdfunding and and having a whole bunch of people uh you know back it uh just because it's it's there um you know it, it not saying that you shouldn't try something uh different different's always great and everything but just really do your homework and understand what's worked what hasn't worked why uh you know what the best practices are if you're going to deviate from the best practices just have done your research and really understand why and 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 uh you know do the work excellent do the work do the work i think is the uh the big takeaway <laughs> for any of this all right well that's all we've got for this episode thank you both for coming on the show peter and brad um yeah thank you where where Appreciate on the internet can can people find you guys uh cardboardalchemy.com that's a website uh we're uh we've got uh we're on facebook you can uh you can come check out our uh, our flamecraft uh facebook group uh or twitter cb alchemy uh youtube you can see uh uh peter talking about uh you know flamecraft stuff behind the scenes and see other videos of uh other uh, mission catastrophe stuff and things like that that's all that tough marketing stuff <laughs> making youtube videos I mean, and all that stuff i don't know how you do it i'm impressed yeah that's that's tough to do but if you also find any of those channels you might see us drop our discord link from time to time so you can come by and say hello over yes. there as well all right excellent all right and you can find me at gamelawyerblog.com as always uh please share the podcast if you enjoyed it uh, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or what any of, the, any of these places where you listen to it. And I will uh, talk to you all next time. Mm-hmm.